From the Old Testament, we'll read from Isaiah chapter 40, of which we'll read verses 12 through to 31. And then we'll turn to the letter of the Apostle Paul to church at Rome, Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. After reading from God's holy word, we will respond to singing from Psalm 90, verses 1 and 8, where we may sing also of God being the God of all creation, who upholds all things. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at verse 12. For we hear the word of God, where the Lord says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and whom Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it? And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains? He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move? Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness, Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. A young man shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let us now turn to Romans chapter 8. 
beginning at verse 31. After the Apostle Paul speaks of the future glory, he says, What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed, indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus far, the reading of Holy Scripture. Proclamation this afternoon is a doctrine of Holy Scripture as summarized for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. This afternoon we'll particularly look at Lord's Day 9, concerning God our Father. <clears throat> what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is, for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good, whatever adversity sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as a mighty God, and willing also as a faithful father thus far. <laughs> Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord C9 speaks about the first person of our triune God. In doing so, it speaks about the three attributes of the first person of the Trinity. Namely, that God is Father, that God is Almighty, and that God is Creator. Now, we would begin with the latter, God as our Creator. Then we see with what majesty and wisdom God made all things. And then we would see that God made all things with man in focus. So that man would be equipped with everything he stood in need of to the praise and glory of his creator God forever. That was the purpose and goodwill of our creator God. Further, if we would examine the order in creation, as God created all things in six days, 
Then we also will notice that there's a certain order from lower beings to higher beings, and that the lower beings also form food, sustenance for the higher beings. Now, there are also those who, who look at all of creation and are inclined to categorize all creation into three natural kingdoms, namely the mineral kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, and the animal kingdom. The mineral kingdom would then constitute those things that have lifeless bodies. The vegetable kingdom are those things that have life but without free movement. And the animal kingdom would then be both life and free movement. Now there's a story, a true story, that goes something like this. King Frederick William IV of Persia, he was a devout Christian. He once visited the school and he tested the children on their knowledge of these various natural kingdoms. And this is how he did it. He took off his gold ring and he asked the students, to which of the three natural kingdoms does this ring belong? To the mineral kingdom, the children shouted. Great, correct answer. Then a king pulled out an orange out of his pocket and he asked the students, to which kingdom does this belong? To the vegetable kingdom, the students answered. Excellent, said the king. And then the king pointed to a bird sitting out in the, in the tree. And he asked the children, to whom does this bird belong? To the animal kingdom, the children answered. Excellent, said the king. But now, tell me, to whom do you belong? To whom do I belong? The students were taught well. They knew they didn't belong to the mineral kingdom. They knew they didn't belong to the vegetable kingdom. They knew too that they didn't belong to the animal kingdom. Even though many people think that we come from animals, and even though our DNA is 95% the same as the chimpanzees, we know that we don't belong to the animal kingdom. Man was made so different. But what would be your answer, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? To which kingdom do you belong? There was a period of silence. Finally, a little girl put up her finger. He said, O king, we belong to the heavenly kingdom. The king was so overjoyed by that answer. He came to the girl and he hugged the girl. Isn't that a beautiful answer, brothers and sisters? We belong to the heavenly kingdom. We are heaven-bound. We were created and are now recreated in Christ's blood and spirit to communicate forever with our creator God, to praise him and to glorify him eternally. Sure, our bodies have some similarities to some of the animal kingdom, but we are created so different. We were created so special. We are formed by the Father's own hands. And he blew his breath into our nostrils. In fact, God considered us so special that he didn't actually create us, for create means to make out of nothing. But God did not say, let there be man, and so all of a sudden there was man, as everything else in all creation. No, God formed the body of man with his very own hands, out of the dust 
of the earth. And he formed woman from the rib of man. He did not do that for any other creature he created. Further, when God created man, he also consulted his Son and the Holy Spirit. And they agreed to make us in his image, in his likeness. And we understand what that means when we study any parts of Scripture. That means that we were created holy. That means we were unique, we were different, set apart, extraordinary. Nothing that can be compared to man. We are not like the animals, not the birds, not the trees, not the insects, whatever. We're totally different. We were created righteous. As God knows what's right and knows no evil, so God created man to know what's right. God created man with knowledge. As God had knowledge, he gave man knowledge. So man could converse with God. God could converse with man. And God gave man dominion. As he has dominion of all things, God gave man a dominion over the gardens to take care of the animals and the trees. What creature, what animal can relate to God like we can? Now, brothers and sisters, this awesome God, our creator, has now become our special father, a very special father, after we fell into sin and forsook him. Such an amazing God we have, an amazing grace, amazing love, amazing mercy, who through his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, would yet adopt us to be a special, redeemed people. And so, brothers and sisters, I may proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon as follows. Our creator God has become my eternal and personal father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see two points. God is an eternal father. And secondly, God is my personal father. Now, the father image carries with it several connotations. First of all, the image of father carries with it that he has offspring. A man can only be a father when he has received a son or a daughter. When a young man gets married, he can only be a husband and not yet a father until he receives a child either by the natural means of procreation or by adoption. And so when we confess that God is father, then we immediately confess that he has a son. That's logical, isn't it? That makes sense. But how far, how far can we let our logic guide us? For example, let us now consider how God received a son. Did he have a wife? Did he get married? We know that God does not have a wife, that God did not get married. Even the thought of that is degrading. We have such high esteem and adoration of our God. True, it does not fit our logic anymore. In man's mind, there could only be a son if there is a wife. But we don't have a problem with this with respect to God having a son. We simply believe, like childlike faith, what the Bible tells us in this matter. However, brothers, we must be very thankful to God for such childlike faith. In this very crucial element concerning our triune God, for not only does it very much affect our eternal salvation, because our salvation is the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also thousands, even millions of people in this world don't believe this because it is not logical. Think of the Islam religion, which is the fastest growing religion in the world, as well as in our own country. For a Muslim, that God has a son, that is considered vulgar. 
blasphemous, sacrilegious. Because for them, that means that God had a wife and that God had sexual relations. So the Muslims considered Christianity to be a vulgar religion. But our answer to them would be to point them to their own basic teaching. Their repeated confession of faith, namely that Allah is great, Allah Akbar. Allah being the name of their God. We could say to them, if, if God is so great that he can create, can create this whole universe and continue to hold it under his control, preserve it, govern it perfectly and in good harmony, why is it not possible for him to have a son from eternity without a wife? And yet we must confess, brothers and sisters, to believe this doctrine of God as Father is a matter of faith. It is a matter of a gift of God, for it does not fit logic. Now we might also ask ourselves, why does God even reveal himself to us in this Father image in the first place? Because, brothers and sisters, the term Father-Son carries with it a relationship. A relationship of love, of unity, of fellowship, of oneness, but also a relationship of authority and subordination. Now the scripture is quite clear on the love of the Father for the Son, as well as of the love for the Son for the Father. For example, Matthew 3, at the time of Jesus' baptism, we hear the Father in heaven proclaiming, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the love of the Son is, is clearly indicated in his subordination to the authority of the Father, which is most clearly evident in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus struggled with death, even to the point that his sweat drops turned to blood. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. Yes, brothers and sisters, Father, Son is not just a terminology concerning our God, but it reveals how awesome our God exists within himself. Father, Son is a relationship of very close, genuine, intimate relationship. Now may I ask you fathers in the congregation, what kind of relationship do you have with your sons and daughters? Is it also a very close, genuine, loving relationship? What image might your children have of you as a father in the household? Do they see you as gentle, loving, patient father? Or one who's easily angered, who doesn't have time for them, who's impatient. Do you realize, brothers, what image your children have of you can very much be affected, can very much affect what image they have of their heavenly father? They'll take an extraordinary case in mind. Take, for example, a daughter who has been abused by her father. It is very hard for that daughter to love her heavenly father. For in her mind, how could her heavenly father ever allow her earthly father to do such horrible things to her? And sometimes these daughters do lose the faith because it's just too heavy a burden to carry. By the grace of God, others are preserved. Extreme case. But do you realize, brothers, don't undermine how our walk in life our walk and our talk affects our children's response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have quite a responsibility. 
Further, God reveals this unique relationship within himself to us as father-son so that we would also come to know the father better. For it is so, as we come to know the son better, we come to know the father better. That is what the Lord Jesus also told the Pharisees. In John 8 verse 19 he said, If you knew me, you would know my father also. And later on he also said to Thomas, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Don't we have that sometimes too? Don't we say sometimes, he's just like his father. Or, so mother, so daughter. Sometimes we can tell who the parents are from the features and behaviorism of the children. So God has revealed himself also as a son, so that his, as a son came to earth in human form, we would have a deeper and better understanding both of the justice of God and the mercy of God, both of which is exemplified in Christ's bitter suffering on the cross. Through Christ's walk all the days of his life on earth, but especially at the end of his life on the cross, we have come to know the great love and the great mercy of our Father, not so? And we have come to know the Father's will for us, how we should walk in thankfulness and love before him. Now the Catechism speaks of three ways that God is Father. First of all, he is the eternal Father of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he is Father of the universe, in that he brought it all about. He is the Creator, he fathered it all. And thirdly, he is the father of all believers through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, first of all, he's called an eternal father. That means he always had a son. There was never a time when God was simply God without the distinction of persons within the Godhead. He was always father, and so his son was always with him. The Apostle John in his gospel clearly speaks about the Father creating the universe, yet through the Son, thereby proving the eternal existence of the fatherhood of God. Secondly, in Scripture, God the Father is not only the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but He's also called Father in relation to all that He has made. He alone fathered this universe. He brought it all about. The Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And Malachi 2.10 says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us all? And we also read a few words, a few verses from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah writes about God as creator, the upholder and governor of all that he has made. And when we read these words of God, don't we feel small? God is so great, far beyond our imagination. Isaiah writes that the nations are but a drop in the bucket, dust in the scales. Can you imagine? Bloop, one drop. There's the United States. Bloop, another drop. There's Russia. Wipe a little dust off. Huh, there's the Netherlands. Amazing. Wow. That is quite a contrast, isn't it? But clearly, in rea- it is a reality in God's eyes. 
although far beyond our imagination, mind-boggling for us. Such is the greatness of our God. How small us human beings must be then. How unimaginably great is our God. And the Lord God via Isaiah would also have us look up at the stars and notice who created all this. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, all those little stars. Great stars. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. You know, brothers and sisters, when we need to deal with big people, we generally are quite quick to give up. We feel we're too small compared to them, that we're not worthy of their time and attention. And greatness also frequently goes with neglect. Great people frequently too quickly forget the little people. They don't have the time today for the little people. They're too busy with themselves. But brothers and sisters, the greatness of our God, our, our Father, is especially seen in the fact that despite the fact that our God is so great, an amazing creator, yet he continues to give minute attention to every little aspect of it, great and small. Just think of the billions and billions of creatures God created all around us, great and small, yet God supplies to them all. And there's harmony and there's order in all creation. I just think of when we came back from Papua New Guinea, and we're here in this land. A drive from on the 401, at one point you could look over all the streets, eight, line, eight lanes. At nighttime you see all those lights. A thought came into my mind, how much gas is being burnt? every day by these millions of cars, thousands of cars on the road. This is just one city. This is just one city. Where does all this gas come from? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it mind-boggling? God supplies it all. Is it ever going to run out? We have an amazing God, brothers and sisters. This is just gas. What about the cement, wood, etc.? God supplies. God's in control. That same mighty hand that created all things still maintains all things. Don't we have an amazing God? We do not live aimlessly, but are under the direction and guidance of a God who, who loves us, who has a wonderful purpose for us, his children. That is his almighty and eternal will and counsel. What comfort that is to us, especially as there appears to be an increasing chaos in the world around us today. Our comfort and amazement becomes even greater when we realize and believe that our heavenly, eternal Father out of his own free will, worked out all things in such a way so that he would also become a personal father to each and every one of us. And so that brings us to the second point. This great God is also yours and my personal father. Yes, this great God has become your and my personal father. The Catechism, after stating the fact of Scripture that God the Father is the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he created out of nothing heaven and earth and all things in them, and still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, says that this great God is for the sake of Christ, his son, my God, and my father. In other words, it is Christ who made this great God of the universe to be not only my God, but also my father, my personal father. 
He is not only the God and Father of this universe, he is also not only the God and Father for others, but also for me, for each and every one of us. He is also your Father and my Father. That is the faith that God has worked in our hearts. He is my God and my Father. So we may speak about our God, our Father. But brothers and sisters, that was not always so. Although God is our Father, in the sense that he brought us into being, we through our falls of sin have become prodigal sons and daughters. We have rejected the God and Father who created us and have become sons of the evil one, the devil. Satan has become the God of our lives. He wants to bring us to his eternal home, everlasting darkness and extreme suffering of hell. Yes, that is where we were going, brothers and sisters, if God in his grace did not intervene. Yes, we started off like prodigal sons and daughters, rebellious. But our God in heaven was not like the father in the parable that the Lord Jesus told. You know how in the parable of the prodigal son, the father went out in the veranda every day and gazed into the distance, hoping and praying that his prodigal son would return to him? No. Our Father in heaven was not like that. Thank God, otherwise we would still be walking in darkness. Rather, God went out to seek man. Adam hid from God. God went out to seek him. Where are you, Adam? God went out to seek us, whom he had chosen from before the foundation of the world. He sent out a son to track us down, to bring us home, to take us back, to make us part of his family. Isn't that wonderful? Such a glorious God. Such a merciful father. You remember the joy the father had when his prodigal son finally did return? There was feasting and there was celebrating, celebration. So will there be great feasting and celebration with the angels of heaven each time a sinner is brought back through the preaching and teaching of God's holy word and through the powerful working of his Holy Spirit through his word. Our great God, our creator has become a personal father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have been received into a renewed relationship with our God, our Almighty God. The Almighty, Heavenly, Eternal Father has become now our personal Father. God is no longer just our Creator, but now also, in a very personal sense, our Father. Each of us may say that personally. God graciously adopted me too, brought me too with his precious blood, the precious blood of his only son. God is my personal father, even though he is at the same time our father. Just like a son or daughter may say about their earthly father, he is my father at one time, and at another time he may speak about him as our father when he has other siblings. And mom and dad has a personal relationship with each of the children, but also a communal relationship with all the children at one time. The one does not take anything away from the other. Just because God is our father together does not take anything away from his very personal interest in each and every one of us individually. In reality, brothers and sisters, there is no one, literally there is no one in heaven and earth who can be more personal to you than your heavenly Father. That's what the Lord's 9 Christ to stress with the use of this 
are the first personal pronouns repeatedly. I, me, my. The Almighty God, the Creator, the, I'm sorry, the Almighty God, the God of wrath because of my sins, has become now a compassionate, loving Father to me. Far more so than any Father on earth can be. Lord Jesus once said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? Yes, we fathers struggle to, to give the best to our children. But we are sinful and our children are sinful. It's like blind leading the blind. We try to do our best. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. He knows the perfect gift, what is truly best for each of us. And He will provide for each of us according to each our needs. Everything we stand in need of for body and soul. And then the Catechism says, He will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. And will also turn my good. Whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. Whatever adversity he sends me. Do you struggle with that, brothers and sisters? Whatever adversity God sends you? Does God send me adversity? Surely not, we are inclined to say. God is a God of love, not of evil. He will not make life miserable for me, will he? No. Brothers, God does not make life miserable for you. Sure, it may seem that he does sometimes, for evil is also not outside of his control, out of his power. And he does sometimes allow troubles and allow struggles to come into our lives when he could have prevented it. However, first of all, we should remember that we brought all these troubles upon ourselves by our sins. And secondly, the Lord does allow troubles in our lives for our own good. Through troubles, he draws us closer to to himself, draws us away from sin and our self-reliance. When a baby cries, it needs the breast of his mother. When we cry, we need to come closer to the Lord. He's drawing us closer to him. Through troubles, he's he's purifying us. He's purifying us, preparing us for heavenly glory. Remember, we belong to a heavenly kingdom. We are bought in the precious blood of the Lamb, the Son of God. We are heaven-bound. The more we see our troubles from this perspective, the easier our burdens become. And the more we realize that the tribulations are also for our good. We have that with our own children sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we need to decide something of which the children say, that's totally unfair. And that we're making life miserable for them. They can't understand our decision until later on. The decision was actually a good one. For example, you promised your sons that you would go rock climbing on a high falls, on a steep mountain, on a certain Saturday with other fathers and their sons. The day promises to be a day of a lot of fun. However, when the day comes, you change your mind. Because the night before, it poured and poured and poured. And you know those, those rocks, those boulders are going to be too slippery. And so you tell your sons, sorry, we're not going to go. And they're very angry with you. Because the other fathers still go and they give in to their sons. And so you brace yourself for a miserable day. Until later on in the afternoon, you see a helicopter flying to the, the falls. And you realize, oh, something went wrong. 
A few hours later, you heard that one of the fathers fell from one of the boulders and cracked open his head. A few hours later, you heard he passed away. And then your sons realize, and they appreciate your wisdom, and thank you for sticking to it. So also God, our Father, knows what's best for us. And sometimes that means not giving to us what we feel we really need. And sometimes it can mean also by taking away something from us that's very precious. Something or someone very dear to us that we feel we can't live without. Then it can be extremely hard as when a Lord in his wisdom takes unto himself a young child or a spouse, particularly at a young age yet. In such cases and other hardships, it is so important and so valuable that we know our majestic and glorious God in heaven is a personal and loving Father to us. He means as well, even if we don't understand. His ways are unsearchable. God, our Father, comes to us in Jesus Christ as a personal Father, even more personal than your own father and mother. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Do you believe that, boys and girls? It is true. At a certain point, even your father and your mother can't understand you, can't comfort you sufficiently. But then, you can go to your bedroom, and you can close the door behind you, and you can fall on your knees, and you can pour out your heart to your Heavenly Father. You can cry to Him, and you call Him, Abba, Father. He alone knows you through and through all your needs. For He created you in your mother's womb. He knew you before, long before you were born, even conceived. He thought of you even before the foundation of the world were laid. And He wrote every day of your life in this book. All your days are numbered. Not one will take place outside of his will. Therefore, you may be assured, brothers and sisters, that he hears the cry of your heart. You are lonely. You are widows or widowers. You are single, childless, handicaps. You struggle with various sorrows and miseries of life, physical pain of the body, mental anguish, other struggles that exist. Brothers and sisters, do you think that such a personal father, such a loving, compassionate, merciful father can close his ears to the crying heart of his children? Can you, any mother and father, close your ears to the sincere cry and misery of your children? Much less your father in heaven. That does not mean that our lost child will be returned to us or that spouse or that lost job or whatever the list of miseries can go on. But it does mean that our Father in Heaven is there right beside you. He will not leave you alone. He will comfort you. He says to you in Jesus Christ, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He will comfort you by giving you the courage and the strength to go on with life, and by giving you a different perspective on life, how you can yet serve Him. Yes, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans so beautifully, it is a confession from Apostle Paul's own heart, which has gone through a lot of misery. Just listen to the list. Many imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, shipwrecked three times, 
in danger of wild animals, in danger of his own people, suffering, cold and exposure, hunger, thirst, toil and hardship. Brothers and sisters, through all his sufferings, the Apostle Paul grew very close to his God, his Heavenly Father, his personal Father. And God, our Father, means to do that no less for you and for me. He's bringing us home. He's bringing us to our eternal rest, to his eternal dwelling place. What a comfort it is to know then that whatever adversity he sends me in this life, it has a divine and eternal purpose. God, my Father, is preparing me for my heavenly home. There's also a place for you and me in his heavenly mansion. Yes, brothers and sisters, we are heaven-bound. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul, nothing, nothing whatsoever can separate us from the love of God, the Father, in Jesus Christ, his Son. I know in whom I believe. Therefore I know and believe that God is able to carry me through this valley of tears, being an almighty God, and is willing also, being a faithful Father. Amen.